0: Welcome to the Stories Our Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Uh, so here we
1: are, welcome to SASF episode 81, is that what it is? That is what it is. Episode 81. We've been doing this 81 times. We should actually be good at it by now, but we're only getting
0: worse. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah please review us on yelp (laughs) we uh your favorite dining neighborhood dining experience yeah outdoor seating (laughs) yeah it's perfect yeah
1: so here we are in episode 81 i've got something i want to talk about at some point yeah um i'm not quite ready nor have i successfully explain to you the concept that you keep referring to. So when we're (laughs) off camera and off
0: microphone, I'll talk about that. I got someone asking questions about what I think you want to do. So you're jiving with, you're jiving. Jiving?
1: Perfect. And then um, I actually, I could start by saying that last night or yesterday, I wasted a huge amount of time at the AT&T store. And it made me think that given that basically the entire Western world now has a phone that there has to be a better way when everybody goes to activate a phone or to oh, like yeah. upgrade a phone, get a new phone. Given that we're all doing this, you'd expect there to be like a pretty quick, efficient way to do this. But about four hours in, I left and I like, cause I had a zoom call that I couldn't miss. Then I just abandoned all technology and fled uh, to squat. To activate a phone? Get a new yeah. My phone stopped working, and so I went to get a new phone. And you know, it had already been backed up. Everything was Mm -hmm. current, and it was four hours. And I actually left my wife there. She did a fifth hour.
0: (laughs) Good job, Heather. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I was like, this is the worst. But once I got my new phone, and I reconnected with the world, I was adding all my logins because nothing actually transferred. You know, nothing.
0: It's one of those things
1: like, do you want to transfer all your passwords and log in? Yes, I do. And then none of them do. Like, none of them, so I'm They're like, hmm, that's nice. <laughs> so, I was trying really hard to remember how to log into Twitter. And I was trying really hard to remember all these different passwords. And and it's the worst. But anyway, I log into Instagram. And I haven't had to log into Instagram in forever. And in doing so, I discover that people have been sending me messages. <laughs> <laughs> For a very long time. <laughs> and and there's apparently like different folders. This just tells you how little I care oh, about yeah. social media. So there's like, there's different folders of primary, general. And
0: so if and, no one's reached out to you before, they go to a different spot.
1: Yeah. I was I was kind of like, you. <laughs> oh, like here's some questions. And so I, I read one from a, a mother that was related to a SAS episode. And I was like, oh man, this is terrible. I need to answer this question. And so I did in a, in a short message. So I was like, hopefully this isn't too late, but we should definitely talk about this. But I also discovered, I started trying to answer some. So this is just kind of a general apology to anybody who's tried to reach out to me on Instagram. <laughs> I started trying to answer some and then I was like, oh, cool. There, I did it. And then it was like, bruh, like, it is, it just filled in the new ones and the new ones. And I realized, oh gosh, people have been doing this for a long time. There was this massive accumulation. So, any of you listeners who happen to have gotten a random response from me last night to something you sent in like 12 weeks ago or 16 weeks ago. It's like, well, that's that's why. I got they in. just
0: assumed you didn't want to answer.
1: Yeah. But just know that it's incompetence that I didn't know how. <laughs> um, nor do I really have the time to keep up with that volume. But at first when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's like six to eight people. Then it was like, it's hundreds of people. I can't do this. Um, but the the question was about nightmares. And a, a kid, a four-and-a-half-year-old who is having recurring nightmares about shadows, a shadow monster, right, and being chased by a shadow. Um, so I'm, we can start by just answering this question very, very quickly. Nice. Uh, for any for any of you parents out there who have kids uh, dealing with fears around very concrete or particular things. So my daughter was snakes, dragons, snakes. Uh, in this case, the question is around some kid who's terrified of shadows from a cartoon that they've seen a lot of times, and there's a shadow monster that chases you or whatever. Um, Is it the shadow monster in Hello Ninja? I don't know. Um, Pretty scary, though. Yeah. But if they haven't seen that one, they should. They should watch the shadow monster episode. Um, But the question was, okay, so I did this thing with my son where I made him shoot aliens in a video game. With my daughter, I told her stories about dragons and snakes. Now, what do you do with a kid who has a very particular fear? And the short answer is I would lean into it and I wouldn't run away from it. I wouldn't try to avoid shadows. I wouldn't try to avoid any of that. You want to equip them with a story to face their fear. So you want to tell them lots of stories uh, around themselves. These are stories of friends, protagonists, but also just stories starring them funny little adventure stories. I had, when my kids were young, we did a lot of Wilson kid adventures and they were all characters in these stories. They went off on crazy adventures and wild things happened, but this is the kind of thing you do with your kid. So in this case, if your kid's really afraid of shadows, you start telling them stories about themselves, fighting shadows, catching shadows, training shadows, teaching shadows to be well behaved, putting shadows in their place, you know, like this is then having to be brave to do it. So you also want it to be funny. You want to get them laughing. You want to just like have it be scary, but then humorous. Um, so in this case, I recommended, you know, like a story, the kind of thing would be like, you know, a cowboy, a shadow cowboy having lost his shadow horse. You know, it's like, and you have to go catch the horse, get the cowboy back on his shadow and, mm. you know, let him, let him go. But really kind of taming the thing, like telling stories to your kid about them specifically taming and overcoming the thing that they're afraid of and like carving those grooves in the imagination like those grooves of victory and those grooves of success uh oops is is really huge
0: yeah because i guess there goes brian's phone yeah that's the first time
1: no come on it's not always me
0: <laughs> i think it is um uh yeah we just it's uh my son henry's birthday and he got a beowulf available so we were doing some grendel time and so now we have a basement now you have grendel fear (laughs) yeah now we've got grendel fear um but but for my boys it's just been a lot of no you gotta do it i mean for for the age they're at yeah you know they're not so little anymore that it overpowers the emotion it's much more of um a thing we joke about like, Oh, I yeah. told, I told Grendel not to bother you when you go downstairs. I was yeah. like, he, he's going to yeah. leave you alone.
1: <laughs> you make it playful. But the other, the other thing is these stories I would tell, I would start by telling them in the broad light of day. These are mm, like yeah. lunchtime in the sun stories, you know, about catching shadows or goblins or whatever it might be. Um, but stories are powerful. And so you have to realize that when people are trapped in fear, or trapped in a nightmare, they're trapped in a story. They have a particular narrative that's being told and it's being told in their imagination and it's recurring. And so what you have to do is recatechize the imagination with a different narrative. And you have to have the same cast. You, like a lot of parents, our, our immediate reflex is to avoid shadows, avoid shadow stories or, or things like that. And we actually have to tell stories with them. Like, and mm-hmm. putting them in their proper place and recatechize the imagination, which is run amok with whatever. You know, you can have a kid who's terrified of rabbits. You can have a, you know, I dealt with kids who um, were really afraid of uh, the were-rabbit in back in the day. And I think part of it was because they watched it on a black and white TV. And it would just, you know, they watch, <laughs> in England. <laughs> and it got, <laughs> it got really scary. Um,
0: yeah, it's black and white would do that.
1: And also because their cousin, in a well-meaning way, decided to read them some of Grimm's original fairy tales right before they watched it and before they went to bed, and unbe- <laughs> unbeknownst to us. Um, <laughs> you know, people getting cut up and put in boxes, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So anyway, tell to lean in, tell the story, find the thing your kid's afraid of and put it in the story and have story time at lunch with these little guys, these little imaginations. Like, get those imaginations catechized, not just with data and information, but with habits of picturing and imagining, get their little eyes wide, get them to laugh, get them to be immersed in a story about them mm-hmm.
0: uh, that's going to start cutting a new groove. I think a lot of adults are really bad about at that. Like they've yeah. catechized themselves. That's the people oh, yeah. who are like, oh, I couldn't go to sleep because I was. Fill in the blank. Yeah, just get in. And they've
1: decided to give in to their imaginations in any number of ways or give in to particular weaknesses. Um, identify themselves with their weaknesses and their fears, and, and yeah, uh, and almost looking for it. Oh, I'm terrified of spiders. You
0: know what? Grow up. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. you don't need to go touch a spider, but also like <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can and make re- a pretty realized, good. Pet. So we have we have friends. I remember when I was pretty
1: young, I heard some horror stories about spiders. Like there's a wife uh, who was very very afraid of spiders, and so God saw fit to give her a lot of spider stories. Okay. And you have to realize, like, okay, you've, like, what's happening? Why is this woman who's so afraid of spiders getting so many spider stories that are just extra? And you know, I mean, extra. I mean, like, hundreds of baby tarantulas hatching out of a plant in their living room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, that that kind of thing. You know, I mean I mean, spiders being accidentally, you know, imported. Right into their house to her house <laughs> to her house that were large enough to like rear up and look her in the eye and make noises. <laughs> you know, it's like they we're talking about a spider that you can hear when it's angry at you and it's going to chase you around the room. Mm. It's like, why is God doing that? Like, why? Like, if you've identified yourself with a fear and you said, "I am," I'm scared of swimming. I'm scared of water. I'm scared of sharks. I'm scared of spiders. I'm scared mm-hmm. of the federal government. What what is God going to give you? you know it's like this is
0: he's going to he's going to lean into it that's funny uh christy was telling us she is scared of spiders but started perfect in our family <laughs> in our family we started distinguishing cuz i was like well you can't be scared of jumping spiders cuz they're they're cute. they're cute little guys they're with adorable. mustaches so i was we as soon as as soon as you start distinguishing between like oh this kind of spider is kind of scary and this kind is just like your harmless fly yep. ear um, all of a sudden, the knowledge um, actually helped. Although I don't know that that yeah. I suppose that helps too. This kind of monster is this way, and yep. Is- so we were out on a uh, on a dock. I missed our normal recording time last week because we
1: were on a dock in Lake Coeur d'Alene and the dock spiders come out and work every single night. They have to rebuild. So, oh, a yeah. we have a ton of activity, and b there's wind, there's all sorts of water, and so these dock these spiders, are those big orb weavers. Yeah, they're yeah. A lot, they do a lot of orbs. Uh, they're not like a cat spider orb mm-hmm. weaver, but they're similar, like fat abdomens and yeah, but these things come out and just get to work. <laughs> like as the sun's going down, they just start busting and you can just stand there and watch all of them come out of the canopy over the boat, you know, where the boat slip is and start just spreading all these webs. And I mean, it's amazing. And my niece was there and she's like, Oh, these are the ones with the fat, you know, Little fat bodies. And it's like, oh, I like they're so creepy. They're so scary, and, and you know I told her it's like their 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 abdomens are fat because they're eating so many bugs for you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, you got to st- store a lot of silk in there too. They can't just yeah, leave yeah. the nest there. And yeah, let it fill and they're with grass. doing this every day, and they got to eat a lot of bugs to
1: make this a profitable endeavor for them, given how much rebuilding they're doing. Oh. Um, And they're rebuilding on the ladder out of the water and they're rebuilding like just they're just building. And it's awesome. And by morning, that's gonna all get wrecked. And they're gonna go hide and they're gonna wait out the sunny part of the day. And their bodies are gonna work like crazy
0: to turn those bugs into more silk. And
1: then they they're gonna eat like mad and then they're gonna go hide (laughs) in a shadow and wait till the sun's going down to come out and get back to work, which means you can sit on the dock and not be as you know eaten alive by as many mosquitoes.
0: I know every time, you know, yellow jackets, mosquitoes, every time you go camping, it's you want more spiders. I want more, spiders. Uh, more
1: bats, more spiders, <laughs> yeah, more <laughs> bats and spiders, please. Because yeah. bats and spiders aren't going to come eat me. Right. right. They're going to eat the things that are eating me. Yeah. So anyway, contextualizing stuff and narrative is, you know, mm-hmm. important. And yeah, they're plenty, they look plenty creepy. The other thing is a spider like that in your kitchen is different than a spider like that on a dock. Right. You know, it's like, it's a spider out of place. I mean, in the
0: bathtub or in your bed, no one likes that. No, no, they
1: kill it. it. It's, you know, it's, out it's of place. trespassing.
0: Yeah. You know, you enforce the law. <laughs> <laughs> That's our <laughs> job. You enforce
1: the law of Adam. You say, not here, spider. Yep. Get back, get thee back out on the dock. <laughs> um. That's anyway, funny. what else are we talking about? This is all an answer to one question that was left neglected in my Instagram. Yeah. Of well, many, and I apologize to all the rest of you who sent me invitations for interviews and questions and there's just like so many and some i started replying to and i was like i think was this last year (laughs) like which end am i starting at just know that there's a certain amount of incompetence
0: and they got a lot of covid questions you need distraction there were some (laughs) two years later yeah yeah so so what else are we talking about today Brian? well i had i was wondering i'm just been very curious about amazon's video program specifically with the terminal list coming out being Mm. tied to a book and i thought i might pick your brain to see yeah let's talk about the terminal list i haven't yeah yeah i i want to hear it i um i did i did watch it the whole show yeah i watched the whole show it wasn't good but um i was interested as a jason bourne fan i was interested to see what the genre has become and then also to watch yeah how it seemed I mostly, i turned into me watching to see if it ever got above itself to to evaluate whether what this guy was doing was good or bad or had any consequences on anything besides. Because it's a show that's pitched about justice, in my opinion. He's trying to get vengeance. But yeah, what justice, we all- so-called. Right, but what we all know about those kind of vengeance shows is it takes a cost and you dig two graves, one for yourself and one for the person and the terminal list I kept waiting for it to evaluate itself and say, hey, what I, is, is what I'm doing bad in some way? Does it take a cost? Yeah. And it never once in never the first did. season. It's not like Munich. Right. The,
1: where it's like, okay, so these Israeli Olympians were murdered and we put together this team of people to go exact vengeance and get the toll on them is heavily explored. Spielberg, you know, explores right. that thoroughly.
0: I was blown away that nothing that, that the show never asked that fundamental question of can you brutally execute human after human and have it not affect you. Right. <laughs> I, and uh, anyways, I was curious what, what your take on the terminal list is. So we, like I, as was just mentioned, we're at the leg
1: last week or the earlier this week. And so my son came back from, from school. We have all five kids under one roof. You know, he, he, his sisters visited him in New York and they had their little adventures and then they came back out and met us right at the lake. So they hadn't been on the way home yet. It was like our first, like, okay, we're consolidated. This is a summer break and all five kids are here, which means we need a new show because mm. we need to we need to sync up. So yeah, you know, if we're chipping through some, if I'm chipping through something with these kids, you know, if I'm chipping through something with those kids, like different, different arrangements of the deck of my five offspring. And so I I try I grabbed Terminal List and set filters and Vid Angels on Vid Angels. So I said, like, great, we'll try this new one. We watched the first episode. We watched the pilot and everyone hated it. Yeah. Um so from the 12 year old to the 20 year old, everybody hated it. And there was this um disdain we didn't even get into all the vengeance right there was there was right. a hatred of the unreliable narrator um they hated that they hated the severity uh the humorlessness yeah and so it's like well but it's a tragedy it's like sure and yet humans are humans and the you know the mannishness of man exists in in all situations and so it, it was just this very Self serious, severe, earnest, uh unreliable narrator exploration. Yeah. Like gaslighting, psychological break. Like what this is what we're exploring, but there's no joy anywhere, no humor anywhere, not like just nothing.
0: It's I mean, for a soldier show, you'd expect there to be pretty good at Gallows humor. Like you Yeah, you would you'd hope. And you'd so you need that there. I
1: actually pivot is funny because I I told them nobody wanted to watch episode two. Nobody did which is an ultimate failure of a pilot.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the one job. Yeah. And here,
1: here I am, you know, 43 uh, year old dad. And, you know, my wife is not interested. So there's one demographic missed. <laughs> like we're out. Like, okay. So you missed Gen X. <laughs> like Gen-, Gen X is out. And then we could jump down to the 20-year-old and then down all the way through the 12-year-old. So yeah, 20-year-old boy, 18-year-old girl, 17-year-old girl, 15-year-old boy, yeah, 12-year-old girl, 15-year-old boy had been told that it was awesome. Okay. The show's awesome. And, hmm. you know, so by his peers of his age group, violence, you know, manhood, intensity, yada, yada. Right. And the response was from... the jury came back. It's not awesome. This is not awesome. I don't want to spend 40 more minutes of my life even thinking about these characters or the situation. Like we're just out. And so then I thought I actually was talking to a buddy on the phone who was helping me with this, um, you know, with notes on a pilot script for a show. And we're talking about different shows and elements and important ingredients and, and all these things. And, uh, yeah, I I'd, I'd been thinking like what is an example of fantastic television like well, I really want to find like what's the fantastic TV fantastic storytelling cuz I don't want to give them just another sucky example like they we've done that um with two of the young, the two younger ones we just tried to reach. Oh give we've, not your buddy but the your kids my kids yeah uh and so I was having this conversation about my own pilot script. And so thinking about the, the important ingredients and in, uh, in a pilot, having just seen what I thought was a complete failure of one. And I realized I was like, Oh man, like we have never seen lost. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about that. <laughs> and so it's like, you know, the the pilot episode, the two part pilot of lost is one of the best ever made. Um, it's fantastic. And the show holds up really, really well for quite a while in many ways. Um, so there's a lot of episodes there if we if we want to you know enjoy this. But part of that was for me, the thing that jumped out when I was thinking back on Lost was the humanity of the characters, and the mm-hmm. humanity of the characters in crisis. Yep. So they're still human beings, and this is. So I turned it on, and I actually did what I normally don't do. I was I actually going to hype my kids up to it? I was like, okay, so pay close attention. This is one of the best pilots ever made. This is one of the best pilot episodes of any show ever. And just pay attention, like pay close attention, and distinguish it from what you just saw. Yeah, in Terminalist, I want I want you to think about camera technique, what you see in terms of like, what are the cameras doing, what are the characters doing, how's it, what's it doing to your affections, like the like the the mechanism of the story and they were all blown away like it actually even with me having set the bar there we watched the the pilot episode of lost and they were from the 12 year old to the 20 year old
0: amazingly impressed
1: all the way that probably
0: helps right though to say hey you're watching this is about to taste you're about to eat a good steak yeah don't just wolf it
1: (laughs) yeah which just means i can't be wrong right (laughs) right so it is in fact one of the best pilots
0: ever made and
1: and so They watch, we watch the first two episodes, the two parts of the pilot. And then we start, we start talking, you know, we're talking about what, what's going on and the laughter, the smiles, the joking, the, Mm -hmm. the retained humanity. So here's a very far-fetched, you know, a far-fetched fantasy story,
0: right? I have to say, I've never seen it. I missed the boat. So all my friends were four seasons in. No, this is, this is ideal because
1: I actually don't think the show was as strong until you could just kind of like clip. Okay. Clip through. Yeah. So it's like, okay, there's 122 episodes of the show now. Yeah, okay. The whole show. So which means when it really, when it kind of falters, it's actually pretty easy to be like skipping, 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 let's jump, like whatever. You know, it's like kind of- oh, I see. Track it, um, kind of stay ahead and kind of track the narrative. You don't have to sit there at the once a week you know, beat or go rent the DVDs and
0: right, you know, really luxuriate in it. Yeah, you can slug. watch
1: it at free V on Amazon Prime. You, know, you can watch it with ads. Yeah, um, for free on Amazon, or you can uh, you know get your free trial to Hulu and you know and and chip through <laughs> it. Um, but it's uh, it's really interesting because the thing that jumped out to them, and the thing that I really, really respected and admired. Watching it again. It'd been years and years. And my wife did not enjoy it. She doesn't like stressful, like just the stress of it uh bothers her. But uh watching it again, the thing is it's so impressive, is this is what I tell fantasy novelists all the time. It's like the way you sell fantasy is with realism. Always realism, realistic characters, real humanity, yeah, visceral sensation. Then you can you can actually suspend that disbelief and carry people much further. Yeah. And the, the realism of these characters, the realisticness of these characters, uh, the spectrum of these characters from, you know, the, the harsh Korean couple in, in this marriage to the spoiled California girl to. Dude,
0: Sawyer, Locke, yeah. all these guys. Locke is I don't. Locke, even, I yeah. haven't even seen it. And I remember them and know their character, which yeah. is very interesting.
1: Yeah. And so Locke is, an example, is a perfect example because here's people on a beach and it's like chaos and mayhem and he's just standing there smiling and then there's a woman and she's she's in a stressful situation she looks up and he turns and he smiles and smiles an orange peel at her he has an orange slice <laughs> in his mouth and it's like and there's like a burning fuselage over there and this is actually what people are like <laughs> this is like human beings yeah are caught in their own little sensation in their own little moments. And so the exploration later of what was going on for Locke in those moments is fantastic. And And we've now watched, I think, five episodes with my kids and they're, they're loving the yeah. exploration of the characters. My oldest is pointing out the genius of having 47 characters, most of whom are never seen. So they have the ability to just like pull people from the background. Smart. Pull them forward and it just gives the longevity to the show that they could suddenly go into this person's story because yeah. this person also has a human story that also got yeah. them onto this plane and this plane crash. and
0: Yeah. Um, well, you'll be happy to know that terminal list had nowhere to go because no, because they didn't have that big cast. And then the final bad guy spoiler is his friend. Yeah, of course. Obviously. obviously. Yeah. So, cause there's uh, only so many options. Right. And, and once you get back all the way up to the generals, there still has to be another reveal because we've all seen the general being the bad guy. And then, so then he has to to be his buddy. And then all of a sudden reveal, reveal, reveal. And
1: and so in this case, you have a magical Island with all these inexplicable things going on, but the people are being real. Like the humanity, humanity is very, very real. And that enables you to believe in this Island and believe in the weirdness of the Island because of how concrete and real these, these characters are. Where Terminalist, none of those characters are real humans. There's, so, there's
0: no humanity. Now, I'm only going off the pilot episode. Right. There's no humanity in any of them. Well, that's why I kept watching almost. Um, well, my wife would fall asleep every night. because. <laughs> but, yeah. but I was curious to see if it could get a human moment in there. Like a moment of, hey, that's real. That's real. And the human, mo- the only human moment was the human moment of you watching
1: it persistently. <laughs> yeah, just being like. It's like, which is exactly, that is a human moment. It's like, because the guy's sitting on the couch with his wife asleep yeah. while he's watching a show quietly unto himself and yeah. saying, this sucks. <laughs>
0: And then Everyone's plays, like, why are you watching it? And then it? plays
1: the next episode. That's human. Like that is, that's humanity. Like, why am I like, we've all put a Dorito in our mouths and be like, why am I still eating this? You know, it's like, we've all, we've all been
0: there. Well, there's only eight of them. So, right. I and can make eight Doritos. Yeah,
1: I can do, I can do, I can get through eight of them. My wife's asleep. I need something in my brain. Um, yeah. And so, that's. Uh, well, here's a question. That is a, that's an exactly human moment. That character is human. The characters in that
0: show are not like, they're just not. See, Chris Pratt normally would fit perfectly in something. Well, that's a question. If they switched in someone who wasn't Chris Pratt. Chris
1: Pratt's best role ever was still Andy on Parks and Rec.
0: Exactly. So, is, did he doesn't, could an actor have fixed Terminalist? No. No way? Not even no. a little
1: bit? No. the only, unless, here's the thing, though. The best actor saving a franchise story I have is Johnny Depp. Oh, it was pirates? Yeah, playing Cap, <laughs> Captain Jack. Now, if you go, yeah, remove all of his mannerisms, remove yeah. and remove this very drunk, very like effeminate drunk, but you know, hilarious pirate. Yeah, the way he runs, the, the way his hands are going, you remove, his eyeshadow. <laughs> yeah, you remove remove all of his performance and have somebody play that role straight. And play and say those lines. So bad. Yeah, yeah, it's incredibly bad. So you look at Orlando Bloom's character and Keira Knightley's character and these other characters and it's all so deadly earnest. It's just so earnest. And then Captain Jack, man, he tapped into something that just made the whole thing funny. And because he didn't need other people to be doing that, like he was the hero and the foil at the same, yeah. at the same time. And so, he brought a levity and a joy to something that otherwise would have been
0: really, Un- really bad. Unspeakably so, over-serious.
1: Yeah. And so, in, in mm. a, the context of like Terminal List, no, you couldn't have done that. Yeah. Like, he, he couldn't have been the silly drunk guy. From, yeah.
0: Yeah. That, From Parks and Rec, yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, he couldn't have done that. And so, they, the way Johnny Depp did in Pirates of the Caribbean. So, that's not a, it's not something a performance could have carried or a performance pivot could have carried. Uh, it just like every character there needed to be human, and they weren't. Yeah. So, yeah. And so that's. I mean, that's. This is true of novels. This is true. Like fantasy novelists and and people who write high fantasy get sucked into uh, earnestness and seriousness and self seriousness of like, no, you don't understand. I'm trying to write this very important, yeah. very important work. I need to I need to convince you that this character is as Noble as Aragorn.
0: Yeah.
1: It's like, well, the thing that works for Aragorn is that he's irritable, tired.
0: <laughs> and unsure of himself, actually, for quite yeah. a while.
1: Yeah. And uh, not good looking. Mm. You know, just not good looking, but capable, but not good looking. Smoking a pipe. Long legs. You know, it's like it's just, he's tired. He's this tired guy. and with his exhausting burden and these hobbits, which are the laugh track and the humor, you know, they are, they are the foils kind of come into his life. And if there hadn't been the hobbits, if it had just been Aragorn and no hobbits, and he headed off that severe, kind of una- unattractive guy with a destiny, uh, it would have been really problematic. Like the, yeah, you, the okay. importance of the, the hobbit behavior and the humanity of the hobbits being hungry at Isengard, needing to smoke and eat, and, like, that's this burning urge they have. Like, the like trees have come to life and attacked a fortress <laughs> and torn it down. And what's the number one thing they're thinking about is tobacco and food. Yeah. Like, they've just borne witness to something crazy. And the human urges of these non-human characters is what makes the whole thing immersive and believable. And
0: right. Because Aragorn great. also, though, I think that gives him a chance to fail. Too many of these fantasy characters are are just really really cool guys from the very beginning but aragorn finishes and starts two towers saying you know every single decision i've made has been bad yep and that gives you a movement for him as opposed to him just dropping in as this knight that can kick butt you know
1: yep and so it's all the characters are real in lord of the rings they're all they're all real and that that's another example of believing the world the whole world is believable because these their sensations their reactions their humor their humor in inappropriate moments like
0: those those things are very very real and very very true of of humanity who do you think drives the action at the beginning of lost like I, I, the, that pilot those pilot episodes yeah who's the, who are the two or what's the piston? Jack and
1: Jack and Kate oh, right st- start okay. out but Jack especially and we don't circle back and explore his character until we're in episode four or five but um, there's tons of room they they gave themselves so much room yeah with these you know this cast crashing mm. on this island uh, and then they do it really really well you know yeah. so it's like these these characters are all people you know mm. you know people you know and, and real psychologies and and so on Locke is probably the most far-fetched right and yet the the realism of his quirks and his and his tics I mean, it causes you to forgive all of it. You just yeah, you're a long. And
0: I mean, there's that. a Hobbit in Lost too, right? Dominic, yeah, whatever his name is. P- Pippin's there, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or is it Mary? Charlie, Charlie with the drugs. Mary, no, he plays Pippin. I'm pretty sure.
1: Tom. I mean, I honestly don't know. I didn't finish <laughs> the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> there you go. Either I did, or I. It's possible that I did.
0: Your memory's scripted. but I
1: but I just blacked it out yeah. as, as a dark day. Yeah. And um, I remember walking into the theater for Fellowship of the Ring and thinking, I want this to be either so bad that I can remake it someday, or so amazing that I don't need to. Um, and it was neither. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the worst. It's like so bad to me, but not to the marketplace. Like right. the marketplace adored it.
0: Yeah. Um, well, have you watched the latest Rings of Power trail?
1: No. <laughs> I've watched one. I can't. You you sent me one, somebody, a bunch of people have sent me the the new trailer. I can't do that. They're bad. I can't do it. I don't know where all the money went, but I cannot do it.
0: It's truly incredible. I, we did uh, a whole
1: I, episode talking about where all the money went, but it's...
0: Yeah. Yeah, I,
1: I don't understand.
0: It's yeah. complete schlock. I think it comes out in September, so we'll have our watch party at I that point. I <laughs> can't wait to not watch it. <laughs> we'll watch it on camera. I've never seen the Hobbit movies. I made that that one. I was able to give up on. I started it. Good. Well done, you, Brian. Look I, you. See, look, I can. It's not terminal. Terminalist. Start it. to finish, <laughs> just all the way down. Yeah, yeah just get it down. <laughs> that yeah. was very much. I realized a flavor thing. That's like that action. You're chasing. Having watched Jason Bourne for the first time as a 14 year old, yeah, sure. You're like, oh, I am now older. You know? I'm older than this now. <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's like the difference between a Mel
1: Gibson movie that works and a Mel Gibson movie that doesn't, you know, is the, is Oh, okay. Is the humanity of the character and when if they just kind of veer off into that retribution, like punishment, destruction, retribution, you know, um
0: movie like payback versus a movie like The Patriot. Okay. I was just I I th- I was just thinking Lethal Weapon and uh Patriot, both of those.
1: Yeah, so if you go if you go with Patriot, you go with Payback, I think it is. Okay. Um just straight up revenge movie starring mel yeah versus a revenge movie starring mel you know it's like they're both one
0: is good and one is bad yeah yeah, yeah. and they okay, they have the same
1: the same talented actor yeah obviously different settings one's period american you know american revolution the other is kind of gangstery um one's, you know explores it in an interesting way and explores what that does to his humanity. So, there's a one famous totally. scene in The Patriot where he's right. just eviscerating a guy
0: with the hatchet. Yeah.
1: yeah. And he looks up and sees his daughter. Our son watching. Yeah. This, 14 his 14 year old. Chi- yeah. His child. Yeah.
0: His daughtery son. Yeah. He <laughs> <laughs> does look. I, I- <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I think in the revolutionary era, they all look the same. That's what <laughs> we're going to grant him. Yeah. That. He's not wearing a petticoat. <laughs> but so,
1: what I remember as a viewer is I don't remember what Mel saw. So I don't remember which character was standing there when Mel looks up and sees. I remember the guilt.
0: His face is splattered with blood. Yeah, I remember him like, looking oh, up and no. I remember,
1: I remember what that kid saw, cause that's what I saw. So as yeah. the viewer, I'm supposed to be inhabiting the, that child's POV and seeing this rage consume him as he's like covered in this guy's blood and then
0: looks up and there's this like weird moment. Yeah, of- just, I mean, that was a that was a small scene. And that tiny moment made it real. Yep. That a whole, you know. He came unglued in a completely believable way,
1: but it comes with shame. Right. Like even, even a like totally justified killing.
0: Yeah. Him having crossed this line. Um, I'm sure from the pilot of Terminal List, you saw the weapon that would come in later. That's oh, kind of the, the little hatchets that he puts oh, in yeah, his yeah, bag. Yeah. So there's a very, he eviscerates a guy with the hatchets, sure. right? Same scene, same way, utterly zero shame very yeah. much just this is the most badass thing you could possibly do yeah. and as a viewer you're thinking are you for real yeah like you've just crossed a line into into badness there's a lot of uh activity behind mel gibson's eyes as
1: a as an actor i mean he he, he mm. can he can really he can really that's uh, true throw some hurricanes up there like, he he can have a lot going on in the like the intensity like behind his eyes um and I a director friend who um has directed him told t- t- told me that. It's like, man, his eyes are wild too. Mm-hmm. It's like I've seen that as a viewer, but it's like, but when you go take to take, the variation, like where it's just like
0: Yeah, he's got that surprise and the like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs>
1: that what he can what he can just slide past his eyeballs behind his eyes is pretty intense. There's a lot of variation there. That's awesome. Um but yeah, that's so like Patriot versus payback versus terminal list. Yeah. yeah. Like Revenge stories, I can be completely fine with. Right. I have no problem with a revenge story, but an amoral revenge story, and also a even if it's a morally justified revenge story, a justice story, leaving that exploration of your own conscience, your own destruction, unexplored is really right. Moronic. So King David was not allowed to build the temple. You know, it's yeah, like he's not like it. Just it will do something to you, and that's not just because of Uriah. Yeah, you know, it's like that's.
0: Yeah, I mean, it said he's a man of blood. Yeah, and it's not you did you kill innocent blood. And, yeah, no, it's just a man of blood. You're a killer. Yeah, and yeah, that changes you somehow. Now, not to jump too far sideways, but uh, the guys in the office we brought up Fantastic Fox, which is also uh, um, Fantastic re- Mr. Sorry, Fox. Mr. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where well, there's also a bit of a revenge story. Genius. <laughs> But the, cuss will, the cuss you
1: will, but cuss you won't.
0: <laughs> the dialogue, um, and and I guess why don't we mind that Fantastic Mr. Fox gets away with it? I don't think
1: it does all the way. I think there's a reason why it didn't do as well as
0: it could have. Okay, so you think that it didn't really explore the nature of him being as much of? I've also heard from those who've read the book that the movie actually improved on the book. A good, I think.
1: The, I think the movie's really fun. Yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't blow up it didn't become what it could have given its cast given its platform it didn't resonate and one and of those first scary. stop
0: animation features
1: because they really they it's really fun to watch it is actually fun to watch it's not just yeah um it's not just oh we're doing stop motion for the festivals mm-hmm. like it was this commercial play and you've got really talented voice actors and a lot of comedy mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it's a classic. It kind of sits there, but it never did what it could have. I think if it had resonated on a different level. Okay. Whereas like a Finding Nemo, uh, my kids just rewatched two of them on a drive. And so my wife and I listened to it again. <laughs> and, you know, and it was it was very much part of the childhood of our older batch of kids. And our younger two were watching it, rewatching it. They've obviously seen it a lot. And they're watching it with more intelligent eyes and more experience that they were just being profoundly shocked at how good it is. Mm. Like, this is such a good movie. This is really, really good. They didn't realize in childhood how good it is and how much it holds up. Mm -hmm. It just scene to scene to scene, sequence to sequence Yeah, that right there,
0: you never head into a new Nemo scene, kind of not sure where it's going to go or whether you want to be there. And yeah. that's like bad TV. You head into the next scene, not really caring. Yeah. And but with Nemo, every single one, I, you know. Yeah. You're meeting the sharks. You're meeting the turtles. You're meeting,
1: and it's and it's all carried by, uh, you know, Marlin's the least interesting character, but like the the foils and the comedy and like well, to have it be he, heartfelt,
0: he's us, right? Yeah. So so he doesn't have to be so interesting.
1: Yeah. So he's to have it. He's the parents, and so you have right. this. Um, this really heartfelt story, but it's carried by the hilarity of Dory and that frustration, and, and then every different crew you meet. You think about the the genius that's shown, even in the you know the Ray school teacher singing, yeah, at the outset. You know, it's like just and the running yeah. gag of our yeah, clownfishes, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and that carrying you all the way to the seagulls doing mine. Mind, mine, 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 right. mine, mine. Like it just it's so good and it's so strong to the ecosystem of the Dennis Aquarium and the dynamics of those characters. Yeah. You know, played against the dynamics of Dory and Nemo, uh Marlon, meeting Bruce, and you know, going through the sharks and, and everything else, and the turtles and 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 so on. So I mean, it is just rock solid. It is a rock solid movie. And it's fun to, you know. To go back and watch stuff like that it doesn't matter if it's for little kids or for grown-ups a rock solid movie you know chariots of fire finding an email like a rock solid movie is just a joy yeah it's a joy to watch when everything hangs together and it's all working towards one yeah one end and it feels organic and natural so it's like a tree growing but it's not you know it's all
0: by a design it's heavily right. gardened but it has this organic natural progression so that's what you're saying is missing from fantastic mr fox it it just didn't it didn't quite resonate meaning that you don't think clooney's character work interacting with his son i think i think yeah i think it's a little joint jaded and cynical but it's it's more about destination so
1: it's like okay so it's it's executed with a high level of ability high level technical value and talent and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. but where is it going right and to
0: what end? And what what kind of chord is it trying to play? That's a great point because at the end it does end up with them in a supermarket owned by the two of them, and it's all about to start over again. Yeah, it's like, kind of they went nowhere. Yeah. Okay. So then that's where the vengeance doesn't doesn't pay. He doesn't have to pay for it. Yeah. Except by losing his tail, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you so, Fantastic Mr. Fox, I enjoy. We've enjoyed watching it, but um, honestly, like Nemo's so. So strong. Uh, like Incredibles. Like there's right. a few of those that were just you know, that they snuck out before they all lost their uh their will to live. Um does, but they're still exploring the- more primal parental fears. They're still exploring those things. I think that's when they were at their peak and the the you know, the, that one is just magnificent. And then jumping over to Lost, I can say the same thing about the right. opening season. The opening season of Lost is just yeah. So, so well done.
0: Mm. Well, there we go. I think we'll we'll have to explore. I, I'm curious at some point to explore some uh, classic Disney and see how much is just it's so famous that we think it's good, <laughs> yeah, and it's actually not. But I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, Nate, Nate's okay. That's a no. I don't know.
1: Nate. I don't know that we will. We'll go where the spirit leads, Brian. Oh, there we go. This has been. I mean, that might be where it leads. Who knows? <laughs>
0: some, well, t- we still got to get to your some, other idea sometime.
1: <laughs> Sometimes you are an agent of the spirit. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's say other times, usually when we're recording a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So this is, this has been episode 81 of SAS.
0: Another pleasant stories are in fact, soul food. 40 minutes. Eat well. Next week. Well, make you a, Hi, it's Brian Cole here, wanting to let you know how you can support the Stories Our Soul Food podcast. You can do that by checking out Canon Plus. Head over to mycanonplus.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the SASF podcast. We'll hopefully be seeing you at mycanonplus.com.